family doesn't do this stuff. I don't care about nature, the outdoors. Why do I need to know this stuff? And I think it's like, no matter what your race, ethnicity, or background is, like we are all here today because our ancestors knew how to do these skills. And so it's just a way to re-remember those or pay homage or respect to your ancestors for knowing how to do all this stuff. At one point, there was no grocery store. There was no Home Depot. There was no yeah. REI. And so like we were just living off the land and depended on community. We needed each other to survive. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Ooh. Do you know what that sound means? It means I have a beer and you don't. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so you should maybe keep pouring. But it also means that we're finally, you know, recording the podcast properly with a beer. And this is not just any beer. What kind of beer is this? This is from Broken Compass in Breckenridge. This actually isn't even a beer. It's a wine. A wine? It's a wheat wine. Ooh. So it actually is a beer. It's actually one of Broken Compass's uh, barrel age series. And this is a big ass beer, <laughs> which why not? I mean, if anybody knows Broken Compass, or especially if you know Jason Ford at Broken Compass, he's all about going big or go home. I mean, it's kind of, okay, so and he says, doesn't go home. But it's big, so it's 14.2%. <laughs> Let me read it. Wheat, wheat wine aged in Laws rye barrels, 14.2% ABV. Yeah, this is some good stuff. And you know what? It's kind of funny. It's quite appropriate. This is Broken Compass, right? Mm-hmm. Jason Ford, Broken Compass. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool that we're drinking this because this uh, podcast episode, we're talking to another Ford, Ford Church. Oh, yeah. Nice segue. Right? From Cottonwood Institute. And (laughs) Broken Compass is really all about getting outdoors and like getting lost, kind of air quotes, getting lost in the outdoors and having a fun time doing it. And Cottonwood Institute is actually all about getting outdoors and playing in it and having and fun. And not getting lost. <laughs> and really not getting lost. That's totally true. Or at least finding your way out of being lost, you know. <laughs> yeah, all those outdoor skills. So that's kind of cool that we're skills, drinking this. Survivor so, skills. You know gonna, what? We should start with a cheers to that. How about cheers to the two Fords that we really like? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Very good. Okay, so... On with the show. But yes, we do have a guest, uh, Ford Church from Cottonwood Institute, will be talking, but there's a lot to be talking about on this one. I'm super excited um, to be having Ford on this podcast. And let me kind of segue, maybe back up a little bit. So y'all know, if you don't know, you've had your head under a rug or something, that we camp, like we live in an RV, we travel, we do a lot of boondocking, we camp in the middle of nowhere. Um, We've been doing that for a long time. And many of you guys, listeners, you guys do the same thing. I guess where I'm going with this now, though, is there's so many campgrounds recently, or not even campgrounds. There's so many um, BLM lands, like Bureau of Land Management, like BLM lands and free spots. A lot of public lands, a lot of... Public lands, yeah. Places that you used to be able to go in the middle of nowhere and park and camp and enjoy yourself and really get out of, in air quotes, the real world. So you can go into the natural world. But there's so many places that are being closed down or changed or changed into fee places 
because of people's lack of caring for nature. And it really freaking sucks. It does. Yeah, it's, it really sucks. Because, I mean, that's even before we lived in the RV and stuff, um, you know, growing up with, with our kids growing up and stuff. I mean, or even me growing. I mean, I remember going to just dispersed campsites and, you know, just down the road somewhere. And there's like, oh, there's a great spot over there. Let's go camp there. And a lot of our favorite spots that we've gone to over the years, if we're lucky, the best of them have changed to where at least there's just some designated spots, like like numbered spots or something where it's like, okay, it's okay to camp here. But even though there's room over there down the road, you can't camp there unless it's marked as a a spot where you can camp. And that has a lot to do with just the way people have treated the areas. Well, they haven't cleaned up after themselves. They like, they don't pay any respect to anything with mother nature or, I mean, they're constantly just maybe cutting down trees or damaging trees or not. Maybe you guys, our listeners aren't doing this. So maybe we're preaching to the choir, but maybe... Hopefully but, we're preaching to the choir. Well, and it's not just that. It's people, like, leaving trash around. I mean, literal, like, big trash even. Not and But it doesn't even matter if it's big, too. You shouldn't... Like, a lot of people talk about leave no trace, and there's you can go however far you want onto that. But what that what it really boils down to is try to leave wherever you go a little bit better than you found it. Obviously, that means you're not going to trash it. But if somebody else, maybe somebody just missed something too, and that's fine. So you pick it up. Yeah, pick up after them a little bit, you know. I mean, hopefully we'll find less and less places where people are just being assholes and leaving trash on purpose. Well, and they know better. Yeah. And they can take it out and they can get rid of it somewhere. But now there's a lot of places in... There's a lot more people moving into RVs and traveling. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more people realizing that nature is awesome and wanting to get out into it. But just like anything else, when you learn something new, you have to learn the skills that go with it. And part of the skills of being out in nature is taking care of it. And unfortunately, somehow along the way, a lot of people have forgotten that we need to do that or how to do that. And it's causing, like we were saying, a lot of closures and changes in all the places that we used to be able to go for free. That's where this comes in, is Ford from Cottonwood Institute. If he can get a hold of all the kids in the world, kind of a, quite a big uh, endeavor there. So that's probably not gonna happen. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. However, <laughs> the kids that he gets uh, to hang out with and teach through Cottonwood Institute that's going to be helpful because these kids are going to grow up loving a lot of things with nature and camping and hiking and survival skills and all that. So then they now understand as kids that there's a reason to take care of the environment. And they also have the tools and the knowledge as to how to actually take action with projects that have an impact on nature and i think even even if they don't necessarily fall head over heels in love with the outdoors and like want to be out on like hiking the pct or you know going on you know even long weekend trips in the mountains maybe that's not going to be their thing but they're one they're going to have a respect for it and they're going to understand why you need to treat it well but the other thing that comes out of what cottonwood does is 
just leadership skills in a way and just um, resolve and how to how to handle difficult situations in your life and things like that and how to help other people as well. So yeah, there's a lot that comes out of it that's more than just the pure survival skills or the outdoor trips and the, you know, the things like that. There, there are a lot of undercurrents that teach you so much more about life than, than right. just being outside. And talking to Ford, to me, it's just really, um, he gives some life advice in the podcast and he, mostly he's just himself and he's just inspirational. He's always himself and he's always, you'll yeah. see why we love him so much and how, why he had such a big influence on both of us. I mean, you know, you worked with him for quite a while. You were actually, I think, Cottonwood's full-time employee number one uh-huh. <laughs> way back in the I day. All the things. Yeah. You did a lot of things, but that's, that's par for the course. It's nonprofit but yeah he's just a really inspirational person and he, they teach you to make beer too right Isn't no that they how didn't teach me connected? to make beer they, oh no that wasn't when ford. did ford okay. teach me that was jason hmm. ford at broken compass not ford church <laughs> of cottonwood institute mixing up my fords. however however mixing up my fords it's kind of like there you know mixing up a f-150 and a mustang i don't know okay however there is beer <laughs> <laughs> at the end <laughs> there is so stick around to the end because there's a cool event that we have put together with woods boss brewing us living a stout life and cottonwood institute um so there's an event happening so stick around to the end to hear all those details also stick around to the end because i really want to end with a quote this time and it's a good quote and if i probably had any kind of a life philosophy this quote from Edward Abbey, he's an author and environmental activist, is probably the closest to, I guess, a life philosophy for me. So, so yeah, April's going to go deep. Yeah, so stick around to the end. <laughs> Just because you, I mean, you should listen to the end anyhow, because we're that cool. We're pretty damn cool. But maybe right now we should shut up and let Ford do some talking. Here's Ford Church, Cottonwood Institute. So, welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure podcast. I'm excited because I have a really good friend on um, the podcast with us today. And I don't know, you're the one who, you're the one who got me into... I don't know, like, I even think entrepreneurial things, you got me in, most definitely into outdoor education. And I have to tell this quick story first before I tell you who we're talking to. You probably do remember this, though, because when I was first going to school to be a teacher, I was at Colorado Christian University, and there's this job board, because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I have to work at, you know, go to school at night, yes. I still have to work. And I found this posting for an admin for Cottonwood Institute, outdoor education. And I'm like, okay, outdoor education is the you know, path I'm trying to follow at this moment in time. Admin, that's what I've done, been doing for 20 years. So when I called you, you're like, where was this? Because you, you didn't even have a posting there. I don't think I there. remembered. Yeah, there wasn't even Or maybe I sent it to or someone to Somebody post. must have posted it. He's like, I never posted a job thing there. I'm like, well, anyhow, so I got the job. And now I am friends, thankfully. And here's Ford Church from Cottonwood Institute. It's just one of the coolest nonprofit outdoor education companies, however you want to define it doesn't even need to be outdoor education or nonprofit. It's just a cool place to work and cool people to <laughs> hang out with. I don't know. I suppose, I mean, I think I st- I'm still in awe of you. Well, well you've taught me. Like, well, no and, pressure. <laughs> we'll probably get into this later on the podcast, too. But when I talked to Elena, I told her, she, when I first met her, she was like 16. Mm-hmm. And I told her as the adult, you know, partner in this deal that I was in awe of her. Like, yeah. And there are so many students that I met through CI that 
I was just like in awe of. I'm like, you guys all inspire me, and isn't that so kind of your motivation? To how long ago was this that Cottonwood's when too? you first met Cottonwood and met Ford? I think what? you were our first full time. I was the first yeah, I full think time. I, that's what I was going to say. I think program. you were so CI number one. 15? <laughs> Probably. So we started in 2004 wow. officially. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of just ran it solo for the first few years until my lovely wife Jessica Church said uh hey you can't keep doing all this by yourself <laughs> eventually like you know we need to like hang out yeah. and stuff so <laughs> yeah so anyhow why don't you tell us more Ford like just a little bit about you sure. and Cottonwood Institute and why we think you're cool well so since <laughs> we just revealed the name uh, my name is Ford Church and I'm the founder and executive director of Cottonwood Institute uh, we're an educational nonprofit based here in Denver, Colorado, and basically we are trying to work with middle and high school students to connect them to nature and inspire them to protect it. So that's kind of the overarching theme. So we do kind of outdoor ed, environmental ed, service learning programs for middle and high school students, mainly in the Colorado Front Range. So we're like started in Boulder, migrated to Denver, and now we're in Aurora. So that kind of just Front Range kind of area. Um, but yes, this was a passion project of mine. It was a, uh, the idea was kind of born out of my master's thesis through Prescott College way back in the early 2000s. And I think I wrapped that up in 2004. And I was just like looking for ways to, you know, blend my passions for working with kids and youth um, and the outdoors and the environment. and knew I wanted to start something someday, but didn't know exactly what it would be. And I guess to take a step a little bit further before I go back into the like origin of, of Cottonwood, there was the pre-story, which was like, grew up in New Orleans, um, loved kind of romping around in the outdoors with kind of friends and family. My parents weren't campers necessarily, uh, but my aunt and uncle were, and they had this farm in Mississippi. And so, I don't know, just like connection with the land and, you know, hiking and just, you know, being outside all weekend, all, all day was just super fun growing up. My eighth grade year, when I was in eighth grade, I got to go on this week-long backpacking trip in the Georgia mountains as part of our school kind of culminating trip. The, the school ended at eighth grade, so that was like what you looked forward to when you were in like first grade. And so I just had this amazing experience. It rained on us the whole time. It, you know, we had a heavy pack, you know, and I just loved every second of that. I think half the class hated it and never wanted to do it again. <laughs> the other half was like me and was like, that was awesome. So I picked a high school that had an outdoor ed kind of program uh, called St. Martin's in Metairie, which is just outside of New Orleans, and went there and loved it and um, just kind of really went deeper into outdoor skills. And we did a lot of flat water, kind of open boat canoeing and uh just kind of paddling trips mainly. Uh, we'd do some backpacking trips, um, just wherever we could find, you know, land in in, uh, in Louisiana. And then during breaks, we'd go out on longer trips. So we'd go out and do a backpacking trip in the Smoky Mountains. We'd do climbing either in northern Alabama or Enchanted Rock in Texas, because that's like the closest oh, natural rock you could find, other than climbing the side of Tulane University, which we used to do back in the day and get chased off by security. <laughs> Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> climbing the side of the university? Yeah, they, so the side of Tulane University was kind of like this rock you could you could kind of climb. It was kind of like this rock. Y'all can't see it on the podcast, but in this room where we're in. And so we would yeah. just kind of 
use that as like our bouldering. <laughs> you know, there were no climbing <laughs> gyms back there in the Kay. in the nineties, and so that's that's what we had to do. Um, anyway, that program just just like really one just helped kind of teach me more basic skills to like competently explore outdoors. Uh, but then you know just helped establish my environmental ethic and just care more about nature and the environment when we're wanting to protect it. Um, so my senior year in high school, the admin got rid of our program. And at that time, there was no real, uh, you know, outdoor program like that in the, in the South, really. At the time, there's college and university programs, but not really high school programs that were doing a lot of outdoor stuff. So uh, we were crushed and we, you know, were trying to fight for the program and then we were all graduating and it just ended up going away, which was so sad. But I said, look, when I get older, I want to make this accessible to other kids. So that was like the seed that was planted. Then I took an outdoor um, education program uh, with National Outdoor Leadership School, Knowles. So I went out to Wyoming, did like a, it was a month long trip, three weeks of backpacking, one week of climbing, and just learned more about like behind the scenes, like what it's like to be an outdoor educator. And that was interesting. I loved it. Great experience. And I was kind of had a question back in my mind. It's like, okay, I like being outdoors, do I want to be a full-time guide 300 and whatever days out of the year? Or, you know, is there another path? So anyway, so went to University of Denver. Uh, that's what brought me to Colorado from New Orleans. Studied business and marketing. Figured out what I didn't want to do in life, which was sell advertising. That was my first job <laughs> out of college. Worked for Westward Newspaper. Loved the people there. It was a mm -hmm. cool, like, first job out of college. But just selling advertising was not what I was up to in this world. So worked there for a couple months and, you know, was chatting with the, my kind of boss, the kind of sales director. And he was like, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm looking at maybe getting into the outdoor industry. And he's like, Ford, you know, when people come into my office and they say, you know, they don't want to work here anymore. It's like, you got to pack up your stuff and get out of here. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I thought we were just like spitballing here. Um, but anyway, I let him know, basically I gave him a month's notice to say, hey, I'm going to go look for something else. I really wanted to get back in the outdoor industry and selling advertising, not changing the world, not uh, working with kids, not, not yeah. working with the outdoors. So I was just like, I got to get out of there. It's like the opposite of outdoors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you feel like the pressure of just getting a job once you were done with college? Is yeah, that I think there was that? a lot of pressure, I think, for that, yeah. And I had a lot of interests and passions, but not anything. You know, it's in, like, I didn't go to school to become a graphic designer or a lawyer or a doctor, right? It's like right. I, was, I didn't have this defined degree that just said, oh, this is your path, go. You know, it was a marketing degree. You could apply that to any company in any industry. So, yeah, just kind of trying to get my feet wet and figure out what I wanted to do. And I, that's, it's fine. You know, like you could you do things in life and you know, maybe it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to do that anymore. So great. Go do something else. But you didn't stay stuck for very long. No, I a stayed stuck for seven months. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> do it for like 20 years. It's like GTFO. I'm out of here. Yeah. Especially yeah. a lot of the brewers that we, in, we interview, like they'll do it for something for 20 years in the cubicle yeah. and then realize they haven't been happy for the past 20 no, years and then no. they start brewing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's after, so I left that job and found another job with Boulder Outdoor Survival School, and that piqued my uh -huh. interest because, uh, you know, survival, outdoors, um, they mainly worked with adults, and they mainly ran trips out of southern Utah, um, but I was like, yeah, this sounds amazing. So I got hired on the operations side, so they liked my business background. My first job there was not instructing or, you know, leading trips or anything like that, but once the kind of season was set up and I would talk to all the students and get them prepared and make sure they had the right stuff to bring and and all that and then once the season was kind of 
underway, I got to spend a lot of time in Utah. So would road trip out. Um, their headquarters was at the time in Boulder, Colorado. They ran their trips out of Southern Utah and Boulder, Colorado. So they were in both boulders. But yeah, I just spent a lot of the summers out there and romping around and um, had to take a course as a student. So I had to take a 14 day survival course as a student. Um, and they're like a bare bone survival school. It's like clothes on your back, knife, metal cup. Uh, like that's what you have for like seven days to 28 days in the deserts of Utah. Go so, out and survive. <laughs> see if you can survive. Oh yeah, survive it was a legit, legit. And I learned so much from like natural shelters and friction fire and animal tracking and like all these cool skills. So I loved it, and um, you know, learning the operation side of how to run a medium-sized like adventure travel company. I was trying to take notes, you know. I knew I, yeah. I knew I was going to start something someday. I kind of thought I was entrepreneurial from an earlier age, and just didn't know what it was going to be yet. Um, so yeah, some lessons learned about things to do, things not to do, paying people in the outdoor industry, which we can maybe get to a little bit later. Yeah, do a lot, a lot of changing. So. Um, anyway, love that experience. Worth, worked with them for a few seasons, and then they wanted me to help develop this corporate training program, and I was really more interested in working with high school students and, and doing that, so they weren't really interested in that demographic, and probably not a good idea to do, you know, take high school students on those kind of intensive uh, survival programs. But uh, we parted ways, but still keep in touch, and work some, for some different environmental ed programs, be bopping around the front range, and still living in Boulder. And at that point I was like, what better time? I was like 20, what, 26, 27 at the time. Uh, no commitments, no no wife at the time, no kids at the time, no house at the time, you know, no, nothing really tying me down. I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. So rather than just start a program and hang a shingle and figure it out, I wanted to put a lot of thought and intention behind it. So I found this distance master's program at Prescott College. Um, so they're based in Prescott, Arizona. Um, but you could live and work wherever. And so I was still living and working in Boulder, you know, doing other little side projects and just other little things to, to pay my rent and pay for gas and food and stuff oh, like yeah. that. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then was in grad school for about two years. And so did a lot of just research behind the foundations of environmental ed, um, outdoor education, experiential learning, service learning, and kind of like, I was like, wow, all these things are kind of tied to each other. Like, you know, and usually there's outdoor programs that teach outdoor skills or leadership, or there's like environmental programs that are, you know, trying to save, uh, save the planet and save the world. And so I was like, well, why don't we just merge those two? Um, at the time I was looking specifically at Boulder County and they're again, not really programs that were blending those two things. So the culmination of the master thesis was this project based class called the community adventure program at the time. We just refer to it as CAP now. And uh, CAP ended up being like the core program of what became Cottonwood Institute. So, had graduated, found a uh, high school, an alternative high school in Boulder called New Vista High School uh, that would let me pilot the class. The principal at the time was super cool. I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, I heard you're looking for this like outdoor leadership teacher to teach us three hour class once a week, uh, which I knew would not pay my bills. But I was <laughs> like, I'm interested in that, but I also want to you know, just share more about this class that I've been working on for the last couple of years, and I'm looking for a school to pilot it. She goes, hey, why don't you come over to my uh, backyard? We'll sip some iced tea, and, uh, you know, you can tell me more about it. I'm like, what principal has one time for that? Two yeah. didn't know me from some <laughs> yo-yo, you know, off the street, and that's kind of what 
started at all. So, so with New Vista, then you just found that they were looking for actual teacher. I found they were looking for like yeah, a teacher to teach us like three-hour class. And so did you approach any other high schools about your idea before that or I tried to but that was kind of the the and I did a focus group with them in my grad school work and so like I had an introduction to a teacher who was leaving okay so she's like yeah go talk to this principal um and it was it was great so the principal Rona uh who's Mm -hmm. still out there still donates to Cottonwood now which big shout out to Rona um (laughs) Yeah, she was like, if you can get 10 kids to sign up for the class, we'll, uh, we'll offer it. So that was October of 2003. So how did you market? Oh, there, so, here comes your marketing yeah, background. Yeah, so the marketing <laughs> background, I mean, it was all personal selling and hustling. So How do you yeah. do that with high schoolers? Well, so I, I had to knock on the doors of all the advisories, say, hey, before you get your class going for the day, can I just give a quick spiel about this class we're okay, offering? Cool. Okay. And I think it really, you know, it's well received. I think we got 15 students to sign up the first year do for you, the first class. That's not bad. Do you think nowadays anybody who wanted to start like a program would be able to like <laughs> get into a school and just knock on the door of no. advisories and like oh, you, no. there'd be so you many can't get into a school. No, everyone wants to be doing this and it's got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right school, but you got all these outside groups, yeah. you know, they're trying to get into schools. So it's not impossible, but it is not impossible. And I knew that that would be, you know, tough for our kind of scaling and replication strategy, right? So we found one alternative school in Boulder, Colorado, that would let us do this. But could we find more? Um, But I, so I taught the class for the first couple years, and then uh, in 2006, got married and moved back to Denver. And then was like, well, let's start replicating down here. So we were looking at other charter schools and alternative schools that would kind of let us uh, run the program. So Your first CAP class after New Vista, though, wasn't for a while, was it? Uh, it was PS1 charter school, and that was probably around 2006, 2007-ish. Okay. And PS1 charter school is no longer around, right. I don't believe. But. So how has it been, like, for this type of class to get out there? Do you find that, like, most public education schools, you know, the... the public school system is not very receptive to, to this because of, you know, there's a bigger machine behind that, whereas you've got charter schools and private schools that yeah. they want to have more diverse offerings, I think, usually. It, well, it was interesting because uh, some of the private schools in Boulder at the time that I had reached out to, I got kind of a survey back from this one principal. He's like, we are an elite uh, private school, college prep private school, and yeah. like, we don't have time for this kind of fluff. He uses those words. Fluff. Fluff programming or something like that. I was like, wow. I was like, okay. So clearly I'm not going to convince that person. But I think in general, most teachers want it. Most principals want it. They just don't know how to execute it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like details and logistics and risk management and food prep and gear and all that kind of stuff that goes into just a field trip, let alone an overnight camping trip or a longer, you know, week-long program. And the schools want to do it. They just like, when you're teaching a full load, as you know, yeah. April, when do you have time to organize all that? So we'll come yeah. into the schools and we'll just take all the logistics and all the behind the scenes you know, stuff off, that, off the table of the teachers. Um, we mainly need help tracking down paperwork and spreading the word. But the schools were just such a cap- captive audience for us. Because in the early days too, I was trying to think of like, oh, how could we do a week long summer program and like a week-long summer pr- program that we were trying in the early days was more like a summer camp model mm-hmm. where we were trying to get individual kids and individual families like to sign their children up to come out with us for a week. And that was super challenging as a small organization with no marketing budget, 
and no name or brand recognition, right? Mm -hmm. So I was tabling at events. I was going to high school things where anyone who would let me set up a table and I was just trying to talk to people, that was super hard. And that was like yeah. back when I was the one-man show. Um, and eventually we realized like of all the programs that we had done in the early years, when we had collaborated with schools that already had a group of kids organized, it was more personal selling with the teacher, the principal, the program director, the executive director of the different organizations that we were working with. And then it was like, hey, we you have this cool program. We're adding value to what you do. We're not trying to replace what you do. And they were like, yeah, so let's do it. So the funding part was the hard nut to crack in the early days too. Um, initially, like we don't charge for our school-based programs. So those programs are free to the, to the students and the families don't pay anything. Uh, but the schools pay. So the pool, schools pay what they can pay. So we'll kind of go into a school and say, hey, this trip costs $10,000. And I wait for the principals to totally laugh me out of the office because that's a <laughs> lot of money that schools don't have. And we say, okay, well, what do you have for field trip budget or for this budget or that budget? What can you bring to the table? And then that's my job as the executive director and chief fundraiser to go find those dollars to subsidize it. So whether it's grants whether it's uh, events like that we put on or um, yeah, whatever other individuals, businesses, all the different kind of revenue streams that nonprofits have access to, that's, that's what we used to do. To, so it's my like puzzle, the fundraising puzzle that I have to put together. So you're now more really on the admin side of all this. I am, I, I will still, I still go to all of our instructor trainings. I, uh, in, in our, uh, we call it the the OSHA backup plan, the <laughs> the OSB, <Yeah>. <laughs> <B -B. laughs> but the uh, yeah the the sub that will jump in when no no other instructors or teachers are available. Then I'm gonna jump in and. and do so. you hope for more of those opportunities to get in? Do you miss being on the teaching side of it, or do you like the more I admin do side like it. Or? So I've always liked the business side of it too. So like it's kind of fueled both both kind of passions okay. and interests for me. And so I can go jump in on a class when, when I want to. And I think when my kids were younger, it was just harder to peel away. And my mentor, uh, Rick Medrick, who is, mm. you know, from the early, early days as my grad school advisor, saw, saw this whole idea form from like ideas and papers to the project-based thesis. And then he was one of our first board members. Yeah. So, in, and Rick was just sharing, because he had run his own program for 30, now 40 years. It was gone a lot in the early years as he was building his program. and you know, away from his family and kids when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, I think I want to be, I think I want to be around for, for my kids. And we're not doing big month long trips or anything like that, but it, it does take a toll. And um, my wife, Jessica works full time too. And, but now the kids are, are growing, they're 14 and 11 and, you know, in middle school going into high school. Um, so there is more freedom and flexibility to go on, the, on longer trips. Well, and I think that's any entrepreneurial endeavor too, though. You know, you try to strike that balance between balance. following that passion. Nobody has balance. Balance. Well, that's right. the but holy grail, right? Not it's like, balance like a scale. <laughs> right, and balance. it's not a fifty-fifty no. proposition. No. It's not. It's never going to be that. Sometimes it's going to be eighty percent business and twenty percent family, and sometimes it's going to flip, and you know. Yeah. You never know. So, but. yeah. Did you have a question? No, go ahead. So, I've, I've done a lot of things, and you've, I can't remember the exact quote, but I always go off the quote that you say, too, like a half-hearted enthusiast, where there's so many things you want to try and all these different things. But So, I've done a lot of different careers. Um, but one of the times when I was doing photography and also loving snowboarding and also like the outdoors and camping and all that, 
one, some of the advice I've heard from others is be careful when you take like your passions and your hobbies and turn them into something that is going to be your career because you might hate, you might learn <laughs> to hate what you used to <laughs> love. Passion. Do you? That uh, does not happen with me. Okay, it doesn't seem like it, but so do you recommend to other people who might have a passion to try and monetize it because then they could also, you know, you're, you know, that other saying of if you're doing what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, which is also <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you may love what you're doing, but there's still a lot of still work to put sure. into it. I, and I love what I do overall. <laughs> there are little things on my plate that I would love not to do, right? Oh, yeah. You know, little HR things or, uh, you okay. know, the bookkeeping or this, that, and the other, you know, and those are things as we grow, we can outsource, but, um, but overall, I feel like I'm, I've got my dream job. So it's like, why, why would I go look for some other job that where I, and I have a lot of freedom and flexibility in my schedule. I can be there for the three o'clock basketball game or the whatever else is going on. So, okay, so, um, so you're actually like living, you know, you've always said every time, like, how you doing? Living the dream. You've always said living the dream. <laughs> I hear people say that all the time at the dentist office this morning, for example, when somebody called and they're like, how you doing? Oh, living the dream. <laughs> Thinking they're not, but, <laughs> but you've always said like living the dream or to us, like, you know, living your stout life. Yeah, yeah. But what, what would you say as a person who's actually doing what they really want to be doing? How would you tell other people to kind of aspire to do that? Well, you have to just do it uh, because I think I was at that par- part when I was thinking about starting Cottonwood, and I was like, oh, I'm 27. I'm too like I'm young. I've never started a business before. Of course, now there's like kids who are like teenagers. Way, yeah, teenagers <laughs> who have, like are global influencers and did way more than I was, you know, doing at 27. People but starting crypto empires and crashing and burning with them. Right. But you, <laughs> but you get that, you know, you get that self doubt that creeps in your brain, and it's oh, like, yeah. oh, you don't, you don't know enough. You're too young. You're whatever. And uh, I think you have to like kind of duct tape those thoughts and like shelve them because you're never going to know everything you need to know to like start something right you figure it out along the way surround yourself with good people you know have good advisors folks that you trust but I remember someone was saying oh it's super expensive to start a nonprofit, hire a, a lawyer and a, an accountant and you it's hard to get the 51c3 application blah 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 I literally went down to the Boulder Public Library I found a book called how to apply for the 501c3 application. And I literally followed it step by step and submitted it. And like within two months or so, it was a pretty quick turnaround because I heard it can take up to a year. We got a 501c3. It was like, all right, no lawyer, no CPA. <laughs> how did you decide you wanted to do a 501c3 and not just like a for-profit? Well, so I talked to a lot of people in the for-profit and nonprofit sector, and they all told me, don't start a nonprofit. <laughs> and what made Don't. you not listen? <laughs> well, so the the big takeaway, which I still tell people today, if someone's like cousins, you know, cousins, sons, whatever relative, like says, hey, they want to start a nonprofit. Would you talk to them? I will always talk to folks, and I always tell them the advice that I got. Don't start a nonprofit. But uh, I think the caveat was, or the the big takeaway in their message was, uh, collaborate before you just create something that you know, may or may not be needed in the community of the world, uh, test it out. Go go partner with someone else and, and test out your idea. But I made a list of probably 10, 12, whatever other schools or other, you know, nonprofits that I could potentially collaborate with. And they told me no all around, you know, mission alignment was off, you know, didn't know me, no, no track record, no experience, uh, budget wasn't there, you know, all the, the reasons for someone to say no. Um, were there and at that point I had to decide okay 
let's give this a shot or go sell insurance or something. But so no what, offense to anyone who sells insurance. My brother used to sell insurance. <laughs> so what was your final decision, deciding factor that kind of pushed you to nonprofit? Well, to so just choose that over nonprofit that. versus for profit. So I did like the diverse revenue streams that nonprofits had. We were trying to work more with schools, so I thought they might be more receptive to working okay. with a nonprofit than a for profit. But you know, we, we we can have individual donations and businesses and special events, and we can still charge for our programs. Um, so we just had all these different things. Otherwise, for a for-profit to work, your students are going to be paying the fees for families, right? And then we're not going to be working with the the demographic of students that we wanted to be working with. So yeah, it just kind of made just more felt sense. like a better fit for you yeah. for what you wanted to do. <clears throat> yeah, so I want to delve a little deeper into like the nonprofit idea of yeah. it because a lot of yeah. people hear nonprofit and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what you're going to go into some country or some other place and you know nonprofits NGOs kind of that similar idealism yeah. there and you're going to take away from the people that could actually be making money like there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who have that kind of a I, when they hear nonprofit and it might not be like for what you're doing yeah but I was just curious about like kind of your thoughts when nonprofits come into other countries and say that they're going to help out that and, I mean that's real and that I, I that could always happen probably in here or, yeah or not just abroad, but um, I think having strong community partnerships and making sure that you're, you're, there's a real community need there and that your programs are wanted there. So, like, if our community partners are like, they'll just say no. <laughs> like, we don't yeah. want you here. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, we just try to create those authentic relationships. And Tegan on our team, our program director now, is, like, really focused on community engagement and you know, multiple touch points with different, you know, community events. It's not just showing up and leaving, but we want to have an 18-year history, you know, at a school or at a, you know, one of our, our program partners. Um, you know, Mission Wolf that you know a lot. I mean, we've been working with Mission Wolf since the early, early days. Probably 2005 was probably our first trip with them and, you know, still have, working with them. Yeah. Okay, well, we have to stand, explain a little bit about Mission Wolf. I mean, <laughs> Mission Wolf changed my soul. That is exactly how I yeah. put that. The first yes. time I went there, I was like... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Mission Wolf is a wolf refuge that is in south central Colorado on the east side of the Sagrada Cristo mountain range. In the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> and a southwest of Pueblo is probably the biggest yeah. uh, city around there, but south of West Cliff. I just like Kent's whole business <clears throat> model is to not be in business. Really? I think you need to have beers and howl with the wolves and go interview. I think Kent. so too. <laughs> Kent, they're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just talking about that because it's been a few years since I've been back there. But leading trips with Cottonwood to Mission place. Wolf, or just like anytime there's an opportunity I could do that, I was jumping on that trip. So they have 30 or 40 wolves that were born into captivity, um, no longer wanted from movie sets or wolf dog mm. hybrids, and wolves make terrible pets. Um, yeah. So they, they go to Mission Wolf and hang out, and uh, they have these big pens and lots of open space to romp around. and. So yeah. we'll help with, you know, we'll send student groups down there and they'll help with feeding and um, kind of habitat maintenance and mending fences. And they did have a big flood last year, so yeah. they're doing a lot of repair work on that. But, yeah, no, it's just a, a beautiful place, middle of nowhere, uh, stars just as bright as flashlights. <laughs> so how do you, so finding all your community partners and things like that, is it just literally like cold calling and just yeah those were kind of like yeah just organic relationships that came up and you know trying to look at like there wasn't a whole lot of like high school outdoor programs that were teaching survival skills or not a whole lot of groups at high school at the time there was a few uh cu science discovery 
and there's a couple other programs that would go down there, but not not a lot. Um, and now that's changed. I think they have a lot more uh, groups going down there. But yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of just organic, you know, relationship building, and then keeping in touch with people, and then deliver solid programs, and then follow up and keep in touch. Networking, or I don't know, but it's community building in my mind. I don't. Networking has kind of like maybe some negative business. E connotations yeah. to it, but kind of sounds like you're just trying to make a business deal somewhere. But community, but yeah. But I think about like all the even now, like you look at all the donors <clears throat> that support Cottonwood, and it's like there's kids I went to elementary school with who are are donating now, and kids I went to high school or college or grad school or you know just from all these different walks of life and you know just different experiences mm-hmm. in my past that. You know, if you keep in touch with people, you're authentic. I love that the startup community in Denver have this has this like give before you get philosophy, right? So, you know, if you meet someone, don't ask for something right away. Ask how you can help them. And I'll I'll, I'll go into a meeting and they know I'm a nonprofit and you know they're maybe a foundation or a their larger organization. And I'm like, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? And they're like, no, we should be helping you. It's like, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. It's just just be authentic and. Well, you're talking about like that ripple effect, which is what you, what you actually have labeled one of your awards for your students right. is like the ripple effect word. But you're talking yeah. about that. And just on a personal note for me, one of those is like one of when I first started working at the Cottonwood Institute as an instructor, mm-hmm. um, I met up with a student, Elena, mm-hmm. and you have you've had so many great students. This is just one of yeah. the personal stories that I have and met up with her. And she was a student at the CAT program at New Vista. Yeah. And then she proceeded to go and spend um, time with. I don't know, in a teepee in the wintertime on our own in high school at Earth Robin, Yeah, doing that. And I was just 17, 18 years old doing that. I'm like, whoa. And then later on in life, she becomes an instructor with Cottonwood Institute. And her and I instruct a course at Mission Wolf. And then later on, that teaching still has impacted her. She she still wants to teach, but now she's doing it in a very different way and building community and bringing community together. And she's doing it in a very different way now. She's assistant brewer um, in Steamboat Springs at Storm Peak. I yep. think she still is, <laughs> but we interviewed <laughs> last her. Checked, uh, last we checked. Yeah, but we interviewed her then too for that, and you can just see like when you can see that impact of how one program can have. Yeah. And I think you don't always get that if you're just constantly pushing math and reading, math and reading. You don't like science all the time. It doesn't have to be science, chemistry. It could be other types of science. It can be other types of con- connections and community. And, and the that. teachers out there will know this, but like when you hear back from a student years later, because you don't, yeah, like you said, you don't see that immediate impact no. of the program necessarily, and you may not keep in touch with them, but to then have a student reach out 10, 15, 18 years later and be like, that program I took way back then when I was a middle or high school student changed my life and I still think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, that's that's awesome. That's amazing. That's, that's living the dream. That's, that's cool because, you know, I... April worked for you for a while and like we've both been involved a little bit here and there and I've volunteered and stuff but I've never been an instructor been that involved in the program side of it yeah and so I have a I'm a half step away on the outside looking in at what happens here and that's a thing that has always impressed me over the years is how the the leadership skills that these kids develop mm. and just and not just leading other people, but leading their own lives with a lot of intent and a lot of yeah. purpose. And it may not have anything to do with the outdoors later when yeah. they when they move on, like you know, like Elena working at a brewery now. I mean, but you can see that confidence, and you can see that there's an impact made on their lives where they go off and they spearhead things. And 
that's got to be a pretty rewarding feeling, I think. And that's what that I love way. about the, like, just the outdoor aspect of the trips that we do, right? Because we're not cooking for the students. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, cleaning up after them. This is not a, a high-end Butterfield Robinson program, you know. Yeah, not glamping. <laughs> right, we're not glamping, but them. They're, they're in charge, and they're they're responsible, and they have to set their menus, and they have to, all that, all that stuff. So you just learn self-sufficiency skills that I think maybe a lot of students are missing these days with their parents doing everything for them, and... Yeah, you do develop that confidence and and you have, you know, you can know you can do it. And I had a student reach out to me when we were kind of re-engaging with some of our alumni and just asking them how their programs impacted them. And one student was like, I went through a really rough time. I was homeless for a little while. I was living out of my car. And she was like, I remember her sleeping in that Quincy you know, with that program, and I was like, if I can sleep through a Quincy, I can get through this. <laughs> and she's doing great now, you know, and it's like you go through rough patches, and that's, yeah. you know, part of life, and, you know, but it's, you can always get through it, you, can, you know, and I think that's that strong, the strong arms around you, that community, whether it's your, your family, or your friends, or just the people that you meet along the way through this journey of life, you know, it's like, that, that those are the people who help carry you through in tough times. Yeah, and that's what we like to build, too, is like, through what we're doing is just that community piece yeah. of it and getting so yeah. important building that support yeah because we are getting so disconnected with te- technology and emails and texts yeah. and all this other well, stuff I, I was going to ask too like do you see it even like it's an important mm-hmm. piece that you should have in your educational component is just knowing how to be, get out there and like use your hands and be connected yeah. to nature and all that but do you see it more important now you know with Absolutely. COVID and kids are just so yes even more so connected mm-hmm. to their screen then yeah, and during, during COVID, we reached back out to our community partners and some of our students, and we were like, hey, what do you all need right now? Is what we even offer relevant? Like, you know, we're just like, during the lockdown, we were like questioning everything. It's everything uh, we did the last 16, whatever years. But you just said it again, though. You went back to the people and said, what do you need? Yeah, what do you need? Not, what can we give you, but what do you right. need? And their yeah. message was, we're, we're isolated, we're alone, we're craving community, meaning, and purpose. And that's what your programs provide. So yes, the need is there, and our programs were wanted, and so yeah, that's that's I think why we've why we've continued on. We wanted to, I I know I definitely wanted to talk about like paying paying instructors and stuff. So and it, and I don't know what our listeners are really like wanting to hear from us. Really, for me, it's just to inspire people to get out there and do what you want to do and live your best life and live Pay your dream. Pay people more, and, yeah. and to do that actually now and now you're yes. like, oh my gosh, paying people right now is ridiculous. You can't afford to live anywhere. You can't afford no. to buy anything. You can't afford to do anything, regardless of your degree or yep. not. Yeah. But I know that you have just implemented like this entirely different kind of new pay structure for outdoor employees. Yeah, I mean, in the Maybe past, not, especially for a nonprofit, yeah. it's like unheard of. Let, let me start with this again. So when I first started working with you, I was doing pretty good, and I got my teaching degree, and I stayed with Cottonwood for a year after I got my teaching degree. I wasn't ready to leave, but then I'm like, okay, it's time to use my degree. Mm-hmm. I took a pay cut from working with a nonprofit. I took a pay cut oh, no. to go teach. So that's why I was saying that I have to say, like, you've always taken care of your employees. I know that we had talked about this where, you know, and in the the nonprofit world, a lot of it is just scrimping by and selling the experience. And even even to your instructors or people who are participating or teaching or doing the work you're selling that they're getting this great experience and here's a free meal. But why and, why and do we why can to, we not Yeah, why do we make have to have people take a pay cut to go change the world? Like what? Yeah. Like 
Meanwhile, the the dude who created that poop emoji app, oh, they v, VCs threw millions of dollars at yeah. that guy. But yeah, <laughs> actually, that was brought up by by this uh, this awesome uh, writer. His name is Vu, out of Seattle, and he runs a website called Nonprofit AF. So I'm going to give a shout out to him. <laughs> nice. That's where AF, I yeah. got that from. But uh, yeah, I, I I just think. Our industry cannot continue to exist if we expect people to take a pay cut and live uh, like at a poverty poverty level wage uh, to do really really important work in the world, and we need to compete with you know larger nonprofits in our you know industry that are paying more and other for profit folks. And if we can't do that, I don't think we're going to exist. So in the early days, it was like if you wanted to be an instructor, you you were hired as a contractor. So you are on your own. If you get hurt on a trip, you can't get working workman's comp, provide your own insurance, health insurance, all that stuff. And yeah, it's a day rate. So it was like 75 or 100 bucks a day when I was getting into this, what, 20, 25 years ago. And guess what? Some organizations are still paying instructors as contractors for 75 to 100 bucks a day. And we started changing that probably back in 2017 or so. Uh, so we hire everyone as an employee. They get you know, access to at least workers' comp. If they're a full-time employee, then they get access to the other benefits. But ultimately, I would like to stop working with part-time instructors and get to the programming load uh, level throughout the year where we can hire people full-time, pay them a full-time salary, pay them benefits, you know, retirement, contribution, like all that kind of stuff. It's just we have to do it. And it's, gonna, it's not going to happen overnight. Cottonwood is not perfect. But I think our base wage is probably on the higher end um, for at least Denver area nonprofits. And then they get incentivized for the things that we need for instructors. So if they have a wilderness first aid or wilderness first responder or wilderness EMT medical certification, they get a bump. They have you know years of experience with other organizations, they get a bump. Um, if they're returning, you know, they work a certain number of uh, trips and then they come back the next year they get a bump you know we want to incent we want to keep people around like I, I'm just sick of the revolving door we've met so many amazing great instructors over the years and look if you're gonna go follow your other passions and interests great but if you're gonna leave the outdoor industry to go work for some perceived higher paying job because you just want to make more money but it's sucking your soul away because you're not doing meaningful yeah. work in the world what are we doing why are we in this movie so you know, again, Cottonwood is not perfect, but we're trying to push that envelope and just incrementally keep paying more each year. Well, and I just think other nonprofits and other entrepreneurs and other businesses should start following that level as well. Like, if you pay your employees well and treat them with respect and do all that, you're going to maintain them more. You're going to have them. Yeah. And they're going to stick around, and they're going to want to stick around. And like you said, it's going to like it's going to keep their soul happy. Now, on the <laughs> flip side of all that that I just said, I understand that people, especially amazing people like April Pishner, are not going to work for Cottonwood yeah. forever. <laughs> and I do like I knew I wasn't going to work for the Boulder Outdoor Survival Skill forever, but I learned so much there, and I want people to you know learn from Cottonwood, build up that experience level that they need or they want to grow. And if if they move on, great. I would love people to stay as long as they want to as long as they feel like they're being challenged and, and growing. Um, but if it's time to move on, it's time to move on. There's no hard feelings. It's like, and you were great, April, because you left and I was like crushed, but you're like, don't worry for it. I'm going to bring your programs to uh, Littleton Academy. And like you <laughs> followed through on your word and we did programs for many years. And well, that was I a want great these partnership. To, it, so many um, 
you get a program into a school and it's based off just off the teacher. And if the teacher leaves, then that program's gone. And like that was my whole thing is like, I want this to be sustainable to stay. If I'm not here, I still want it to be. And it was a difficult like gap in there too when yep. I did leave. But it was still, I'm so happy to hear that yeah. it's coming back. And that was the whole thing is you want to make something sustainable. Regardless yeah, of what you're doing, yeah. you don't want to just like we start something We don't want to be the hit done. and run program, the one yeah. and done, and then we yeah. never see them again. Like we, we really do want to create those, those long-term. You're building partnerships. Partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the same thing with building the business side of it to where it can be sustainable for people to make a career out of working. Yeah. At, whether it's Cottonwood or another nonprofit or whatever. If you provide that path, at least you get the best people you can get. Because the people that want to do this, you want to be able to hold on to them. And it's like the people who want to do it and are good at it, if you if you can't make it a sustainable living situation yeah. for them, they have no choice but to move on to something exactly. and not suffer through life. And I think that's the next evolution of, of what we're trying to do um, is that student to paid staff or instructor pathway. Because not every student that we work with is going to want to be a Cottonwood instructor. Mm -hmm. They might be in, interested in the business side or running a nonprofit or the fundraising side or marketing or whatever. And so how do we provide that paid pathway for students to do that? So we've started piloting that through our uh, Changemaker program which is basically for high school students who've gone through the CAP program, either as a middle or high school student, but they have to be in high school to be in the Changemaker program. It's a year-long program instead of just a quarter or a semester. You know, they meet a couple times a month. They go on longer trips. They go deeper with outdoor skills. They go deeper with the action projects that they take on. Um, and then it kind of leads up to this culminating five-day program romping around Colorado and mm -hmm. adventuring. And that's been amazing. And then this past year, the, the second cohort that we worked with, uh, we started paying them like a scholarship to be part of the program, and we're gonna keep trying to you know pay them more. But ultimately, I wanna hire those apprentices back and have them lead trips like Elena did, and Eric Ellison, and some of the other kind of former students who went that like Cottonwood student to instructor. Eric Ellison, actually, I wanna give a shout out, because he did the full yeah. loop and ended up joining our board yeah. Um, so yeah, student board, like that man, that's the ultimate, you know. <laughs> What's left? And he's like, you're kind of your boss, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah you kind of are. Wait, cool. so I have wow. to talk about another another uh, instructor that I met way back when too, Clark. Clark. And oh, he, because yeah. I was just thinking of Naked and Afraid too, because I think he applied <laughs> actually to be on Naked and Afraid. And from what I understand, Clark, you can call me and correct me if I'm wrong, whatever. But I think that he had too much experience. Yeah, he's probably overqualified. <laughs> <laughs> he's overqualified. <laughs> it's like he's gonna breeze. They want some conflict. They want people to stumble and fumble. And well, because you know, he's Clark now just been a badass he's now working. It. I think he's working with a lot of um, challenged kids out in Montana and he has his own company oh, doing awesome. primitive primitive skills and like keeping that going that's his own company I believe that's awesome um, and he started what when he was 20 I love Clark I, I did a survival presentation I used to do these like free survival presentations uh -huh. at REI and it was kind of our way to get Cottonwood's name out in the community I remember Clark came up to me after one of those things and yeah he was young he's like I don't know if that I'm like have all the experience that you're looking for but I, I want to work for you and I just remember that stood out to me. Like when someone comes up and they're like, I love what you do and I want to work for you. Like, I don't care if they have the experience or not. I'm like, well, hey, why don't you come on our instructor training? It's coming mm -hmm. up in a couple weeks. And he just came and he just crushed everything and just 
passionate, hardworking. <laughs> That's cool. They're like, yes, you're hired. That is a lot different than, hey, I'm interested in your job. You know, do you have like a, an application? No, no, I, I, I want to work. No, I'm coming. <laughs> well, he's still in the field. He's definitely picked oh, his gosh, field yeah. properly too, yeah. So anyhow, he, he, I think, applied for Naked and Afraid. I was going to ask you earlier, did you ever think about going on Naked and Afraid? <laughs> Not Naked and Afraid. I think that's going to, uh, but I, uh, I did in the early, when I was working for Boss, like in the very first season of Survival, Oh, Survivor. 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 They okay. called me up and just out of the blue, I was the dude who answered the phone. They're like, hey, we're the producers of Survivor and we're, you know, we've got this thing. We're sending them out, you know, we're trying to figure out like how much do we feed them and like, you know, what do we have, <laughs> what, like what kind of gear and stuff should we get? I'm like, wait, they're calling you guys yeah. to ask I'm like, that you don't know this? Like, you're about to wow. ship them out. <laughs> like, uh oh. We so don't I, I, to die you know, on our my words because it's still on the air and I was like, this. This is going to totally fail. <laughs> it did not. It did not. So do you um, watch any other, do you watch any survival shows? Um, I used to more, but I, I don't as much anymore. Do you have any opinions on them? Um, I like the one, and I'm blanking on the name, but where, where he was like kind of filming himself and he was solo. But yeah, it was just one guy and he had set up multiple okay. cameras and so he'd have to go like, he, but he, he was living it. That's he was cool. doing it. But I always think when I watch these survival shows and hear Survivor people talking Man? about it, Maybe. that might be it. Survivor Man. Yeah. I always think of the like the rule of threes that we were taught. And yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. All you guys are talking, worried about is finding food within the first <laughs> ten minutes three hours, second. ten minutes yeah. that you're going to eat all these bugs and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't need to worry you about food. <laughs> yeah. You've got a minute. Yeah. You have a <laughs> But I think that also goes back to just like those are those critical skills that... You know, because some, some kids that we work with, they're like, my family doesn't do this stuff. I don't care about nature, the outdoors. Why do I need to know this stuff? And I think it's like, no matter what your race, ethnicity, or background is, like, we are all here today because our ancestors knew how to do these skills. And so it's just a way to re-remember those or pay homage or respect to your ancestors for knowing how to do all this stuff. At one point, there was no grocery store. There was no Home Depot. There was no yeah. REI. And so, like, we were just living off the land and depended on community. We needed each other to survive. Super highly skilled with, like, you look at these flint napping points that, you know, people still make today, but, like, you know, they were doing it back in the day. I was like, that is really impressive. And uh, just, yeah, honoring that that past and, and reconnecting with it. Whether you do this ever again or not, but just, like, have that one experience where, you know, you get reconnected to everything. So what's, like, um, if, if you're out just hiking, what's one of the major skills you think someone just should know if you're just out on a day hike? Oh, I think prevention is, like, the biggest lesson, right? You know, I think that was always kind of impressed upon me at Boss, the survival school I worked for. was, like, not are you going to be, like, the most comfortable, but if something happened and you got caught out tonight and you had to sleep, you know, with what you have on you right now, could you survive? Not will you be warm, cold, and, you know, or you warm and fed. <laughs> you might be totally miserable, but will you survive? And so that's like the insurance that you carry is what you put in your pack. And how much insurance do you want to carry? You know, do you want to carry a backpack and a sleeping bag and a stove and lots of food for just going on a two-mile day hike? Probably not. So you're going to, like, scale your insurance back. But, yeah, I always carry, like, at least three methods of making fire, I always pay attention to like what kind of debris is around like in, a, in a winter situation. It's winter right now. So like I'm going to carry a snow shovel. I'm going to carry a, a zero degree bag in my car. Those kind of things are like if I had to sleep out, could I make it through the night? So, but three methods, three methods of making fire, thinking about shelter, 
how you would stay warm and um, how you would procure water. So like I usually always carry a metal cup with me so I can like melt snow or boil water I'll come across the stream. Because little to, hopefully most of you guys know this, snow is not going to quench your thirst. You have to melt it into water. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Which seems really strange, but it's totally true. Your body yeah. just doesn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, leave no trace. I want to, like, okay, <laughs> just really quickly, because leave no trace principles, if y'all don't know, I'll just link to it. But they're principles that you should be following, whether you're camping, whether you're RVing, whether you're hiking, all that stuff, building survival skills. But honestly following leave no trace principles to the exact t where you're really not leaving any trace is probably next to impossible it is next to impossible i i appreciate what the organization does i i know they're speaking to like a mass yeah. so, so that's what know, i wanted to like, talk more is like how do you do it where it's you can't really practical. leave no trace but what's the practical way of yeah i, mean, I, I kind of borrow this from boss but it's like let's have a positive impact right so yeah let's not have a negative one but I, it's it's unless you levitate you know and don't ever touch the ground <laughs> yeah you know, you're gonna leave uh, a, an impact <laughs> some kind of impact yeah but yeah i mean i think just some of the basic principles are really good you know just like pack it in pack it out you know yeah. that that's just obvious you know we're not going to go to a campsite and trash it we're gonna, I mean, right. We pick up micro trash. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we, we try to leave our campsites better than we found them. If we keep leaving trash around, like there's so many campgrounds now getting closed that used to be free BLM to camp land and BLM lands oh, getting yeah. closed. Yeah. Everything's getting closed because people aren't taking care of the land. Yeah. Maybe it's because they didn't take your course. Yes, so they, they don't didn't know take why. <laughs> well, and this is a little beef I have with the permit system um, in Colorado, you know, so I might ruffle some feathers, but. Yeah, so we as Cottonwood as an organization, if we're going to be on public land, we need an outfitter guide permit. Um, meanwhile, any Yahoo can go out in a pickup truck and go shoot beer bottles, and that's totally cool. No permit needed for that. Yeah. But if I need a, if I want to take a group of students to teach them how to do all this the right way, I've got to get a permit. So anyway, we, we've partnered with other folks who have access to their own land, like Cowood up in Jamestown. You know, the state parks are really great to work with, too. But uh, just kind of putting it out into the universe, one of the things we're working on the next couple of years is what would it look like to have a permanent base camp for Cottonwood? And I don't know that we would necessarily own the land, but trying to connect with landowners in the front range within an hour and a half or two hours of Denver, so we're not sitting in the van for six hours on a weekend trip. Um, but yeah, so who would let us carve off a little piece of land and uh, whether it's five, 10, 20 acres and just, it's our go-to spot where we start all of our first trips. And I have a, a further dream of having like the juxtaposition of like a, a truly like bare bones campsite with like little to no amenities, maybe a, maybe a, a restroom, but um, you know, just a campsite. And then, you know, where we could make natural shelters and wiki ups and debris shelters mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And then the kind of high tech, clean tech version of like a, something like Robin Blankenship's created down at Earthnack with like a straw bale construction building with, you know, composting toilets and solar panels and solar okay. showers and all that kind of stuff. But like just have that, that kind of juxtaposition of like where we were way back in the day to like where we're going. Oh, and your students could totally help you build all yeah, that. Yeah, super too. learning, oh, amazing yeah. learning opportunity. Yeah, like, you know, hydroponics, aquaponics, like all that kind of stuff. But then like also have that bare bones campsite that we can just go that's exciting you never you stop know. dreaming don't ever stop dreaming well you know <laughs> okay wait there's a connection with like beer and stuff somewhere here 
I think so. There is actually. We all but drink beer. We do that. <laughs> <laughs> but well, actually, we all of, made beer together too. So. Yeah. So before we get to that, though, you've done a lot of um, different fundraising and just different events, and a lot of it's yeah. around beer and like getting brewing partners to celebrate that and to help you know bring people together because that's what beer really does is it brings yeah. people together. Yeah, it's part of that community element. Yeah. So I think one of the ways that we were finally getting together on this podcast is because we were putting together an event. To benefit CI, and we have to do that as a shout out. I love these phone calls where you're just like <laughs> out of the blue, hadn't talked to April in a while, and she's like, "Hey, we're back in town, and hey, we're we're putting this fundraising event together. We'd love Cottonwood to be involved and be the beneficiary of it." I was like, "Awesome! What do you need from us? <laughs> hey, come make beer with us at Woods Boss." Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we love Woods Boss too, and it just yeah. matches. I mean, yeah. Jordan, one of the owners yeah. at Woods Boss, was literally yes. a Woods Boss. I mean, I would seriously call Trail you a Woods Boss. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And it yeah, just and matches up, and then like being able to brew a beer with them. And they're always Ryan very community-minded and very, doing a lot yes. of fundraising all the time. And so it was a just a natural fit. It's like bring all the people we love together to do stuff that benefits all of us. Yeah. You so know, so come on down. Win, win, win. Yeah. So it's so we want like all the beer media people that we know, all the friends and people that we know. Whether you're. I don't care. Fly here. You know, flights yeah. are somewhat, yeah. maybe, kind of cheap. DIA has Some an airport. <laughs> you know, Denver has an airport. Yeah. You all of Codwin Institute's peoples. <laughs> and then anybody who is done with, you know, this ridiculous thing that I don't agree with called dry January. It's going <laughs> to just be done and over with it. People are cheating. It's now damp. January. Damp. <laughs> and I, I have never heard that I until this week. That. I've heard like I've not four heard different that. people tell me about damp, damp January. January. So it's like you just cheat more, I guess. But Fine. <laughs> so it's, you know what that's called, people? Moderation. <laughs> just do it and you don't have to have a month. You know yeah. what I say? <laughs> don't you go to dry January to damp January. You know what? Never mind. It's just yes, time to get wet on February 1st. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, February 1st, Wednesday, Woods Boss. Five to nine. Five to nine. Live music. Mm-hmm. Live music. No cover. Just grab a cold beer. Yeah. And it's the C IPA. So it's yeah. so Cottonwood Institute CI is kind of the acronym we use kind of internally, probably more. But yeah, we're like, hey, what should we name this? It's like, oh, it's an IPA. How about the C IPA? So C-I-P-A. works on many levels. What's it gonna be like? What's the flavor profile? It is gonna come off kind of like a little bitter on the front, like a West Coast IPA, but then it's gonna finish with some nice fruity tones and aromas and notes. It's not in your face, suck your mouth dry, bitter. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, a, it's more pale ale side than, than India pale ale. It's gonna be highly drinkable beer. Yeah. <laughs> and a $1.50 of every crushable. pint of that, crushable. $1. fifty <laughs> of every pint of that goes to CI, yay, and then a dollar of every other beer. Yeah. Goes down there too. And it's, by the time this podcast goes out, we still have a little bit of time left, but we're hoping to get some food and stuff there too, so. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Come by and drink and listen to music and just hang out. Yeah. There's no pressure, just come by and drink. Come hang out with us. Yeah. We'd love to chat. And in the meantime, check out the CI website. Yeah, where do you want to play? Yeah, so cottonwoodinstitute.org is the website. Check it out, learn more. Different programs we have going on, different events we have coming up throughout the year. We Our other big event is our Basecamp Bash. It's our April fundraiser. So Do you have that set yet? Yeah, it's April 22nd. Where? Uh, it's at Space Gallery in Denver. Ooh, cool. So we're going back to the galleries. Cool. That's a really, really great event if you're looking for something to do that's like also benefiting CI, but and it's just fun. a ton of fun. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, you don't have to come drink beer either. You can just donate. 
Yeah. <laughs> They'll take your money. Cottonwoodinstitute.org/slash/donate would also get you there. How about actually instead of you guys, you listeners out there, um, instead of donating or buying us a beer, because we always ask you know buy us a beer. Right. Air quotes. Buy us a beer instead of buying us a beer. Buy a CI a beer and like yeah. Cottonwoodinstitute.org/slash/donate. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to say? No. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching back out. It's Yay. great to reconnect and definitely looking forward to uh, the big beer release party February first. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And not that I really have to say this right now, but I just wanted to say it because you're here in the room. And so we have our, our camp coming up, Camp Carp ADM, and it's with mountain yeah. biking and stuff. And I'm excited because I need to go get my WUFA, Wilderness First Aid, done again, like renewed. And Kenny has never done it, so we're both going to do it. I don't think you even, you don't have to be an instructor or anything to go get your WUFA, your Wilderness First Aid. It's a great class to have, and then you have oh, some knowledge when you're hiking. Yeah. If you things. recreate yeah. outdoors and you do more than like a day trip, even if you just do day trips, you should know, you should have some basic first right. aid. And I'm not, we're not an affiliate link for any of this or anything like that. We're oh, just no. saying it it's be. a good thing to have. <laughs> it should be, but it's just a good thing to have. Cool. All right. That's it. All right. Thanks, y'all. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Cool. That was fun. It's always, like, so cool to be interviewing your mentor. And really, Ford was my mentor. So that was really cool. But also I have a story. So speaking of Wolfa's Wilderness First, wilderness first Aids, um, thankfully, in all the years that I have been doing outdoor ed, which is a lot actually, thankfully, while I've had it as an insurance kind of package, I've really only had to use it maybe, okay, fine, three times. But they're all, they've all been You're pretty... Welcome. Why am I... Why? Because you got to use it on me when I went over the handlebars on my oh, bike four and times. jammed my shoulder up. Four times. <laughs> You're the one that put my arm in a sling, baby. <laughs> so very briefly, yeah. So I was thinking of that with the Wolfa. So they've been pretty pretty mild times that I've had to use it. One was, especially when you're with kids. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially when you're with kids and they're goofing around and a kid throws something at a tent and the kid on the inside of the tent is right next to the place <laughs> that the thing was thrown and then you hear, Miss Pejna, his head's bleeding. And it's just like a little tiny cut in the head, so that's okay. But there was another one where we actually had to um, put a splint on someone's um, like wrist because she thought she broke her wrist from slamming her wrist into a door so it wasn't Ow. even like that oh, and then yes you kenny when you went over your handlebars so you know just, slamming the wrist in the door sounds a lot worse to me than yeah. my shoulder hurt really bad when i crashed but this wrist in the door sound like it was horror movie shit to me it was, i'm sorry it, <laughs> yeah we we that was with Elena, too, speaking of. Like, that was that same trip with <laughs> Elena. So she was brilliant on that one as well. But because we also had a um, survival kit in our pack. You remember the whole thing Ford was talking about, the insurance? The more stuff you carry, the bigger your insurance is. So mm -hmm. we also had kind of a, a splint that was meant to be used for a wrist if yeah. something happened. So we had that. And so, yeah, I mean, like having these things really works. But I also was thinking that that uh, splint that we had to do for the WUFA was at Mission Wolf. And we touched on Mission Wolf a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I did say that that place changed my soul because it just really did. When you take kids to a place that is solely run off of volunteers and the kids understand that and grasp that concept and start to work with all of the other volunteers there and do all of these different projects and these kids see 
everything that they have built over the years, the impact that it has on the kids themselves as they grow up into adults is amazing. Like you've heard us talking before, we've seen students from CI come back to be instructors, and it's the same thing when you have volunteers at Mission Wolf. They come back and volunteer again and again. Well, and I think what really is happening there isn't just... It's not just them seeing the impact they had on Mission Wolf or some other project they've been part of. They see that impact, but but seeing that impact, that it ignites a spark in them for doing something bigger in life than just themselves. But you can see this confidence that comes out of them that, that they go off to do, it inspires them to do bigger things. And that... Know. But that is exactly one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk to Ford is mm-hmm. because you said that perfectly. It ignites a spark. And something within us was ignited, what, almost five years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, long before then, but five oh, yeah. years ago yeah. when we decided to move into the RV and to follow a dream, there was that spark that was ignited. And Ford has that ability to just get you inspired by everything. And so... Whether you're a kid or an adult or whatever it is that gets you moving and gets you to follow your dreams, that's kind of really the purpose of, I mean, Cottonwood Institute or just having a conversation or connecting or collaborating with people is to ignite whatever spark it is within you that you want to follow through on. Yeah, it's just really cool when you find and you're you're never looking for it usually when it happens, but it's really cool when those people come into your life that that have a such a significant impact on your life. And you don't usually realize it till much later, you know, usually well, at the moment it happens, it's, it's just starting. It's you, you don't know the impact yet. And then like now with Ford, it's been many, many years that we've known Ford and, and we've both been involved in different capacities with him around CI and other things too. And yeah, you just, just now, and there's more to come, but, you know, you're still see, you're still not realizing all the impacts that it. You know, a lot of this talking is it's like going rambling through my head, and I have a hard time putting it out there in words. But it's like, you know, you start realizing all the different impacts that there have been on your life. Well, how about this? When Ford first realized, well, not first realized, but when he realized that he really wanted to go back and um, do something with outdoor education and he wanted to do it well. So when he went to go back to get his master's at Prescott Prescott University, Prescott College, I can't remember, but Prescott, Mm -hmm. he knew when he was graduating that he had this idea to do with his thesis to actually Mm -hmm. start a program. He didn't know that years before then. He knew he wanted to do something with outdoors and with kids, but he he didn't know that he was going to create something off of his master's and his thesis. The same thing is, though, if you think about it this way, you and I, when we're hanging out with Deborah and Barry, our friends and also business partners, we were just, we were friends at first. We met at another conference and we were camping, you know, camping in the middle of, I think we we're an, outside of Durango in the dispersed camping spot that was free. I don't know if that still is. I'm going to have to look. I don't know. But yeah, outside of Durango, a great little place. And we we're just hanging out over a campfire, talking, making connections and cows just being, wandering through our cows wandering through our campsite, just having conversations, and the whole thing popped up. What if we created an event that went around mountain biking, craft beer, and photography? And we're like, nah. And then we started dreaming, and then we're like, okay, it'd be kind of cool. And we're literally just dreaming, and we kind of let it go. 
And then probably within a couple of weeks, that conversation completely took hold and became real. Camp Carpe Diem. And we're now hosting our third annual Camp Carpe Diem this fall. Um, So just those little things of conversations, whether it's because you're creating a thesis or because you're having a conversation or you're just feeling a need. I mean, seriously, Ford says it perfectly. Living the dream. He says that all the time, and he truly is. So. Yeah, he's he's not the guy that comes up and, you know, you say, how you doing? Huh? Living the dream, you know. No, he's, I'm living the dream. Living the dream. And he is living the dream. I mean, <laughs> you heard him talk on the podcast. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, he truly is. When it comes time to living the dream, man, we hope Ford and us have inspired you to do that and to get up off of your ass and start moving and to get back into nature because, oh, my goodness, there's another little meme somewhere that I've seen and it's just really great. And it's something about um, being out in nature and how you don't have any connections. However, that's the best connection ever because you're connecting to nature and the sunshine. Oh, that's better than the meme I just saw about like, I've only got a couple more payments till I actually own that dozen eggs that are in the grocery store. <laughs> Anyhow. Because April's getting deep and sappy. Oh, yeah. All right. But that's okay. I like deep and sappy April. I don't know. Anything else? We good? I don't know. You promised your life's philosophy. I do have a quote, right? But before I get to the quote, what should they do? Oh, we said it already earlier with Ford. You normally buy us a beer. Well, some of you do. This time, donate to Cottonwood Institute. It was on there, cottonwoodinstitute.org slash donate. Yes, or just show up at Woods Boss on February 1st. Um, if you're in Denver, that would be... And if you hear this before then and know to come down, because <laughs> awesome. it is getting close, but... Yeah. But yeah, and if you're not there, cottonwoodinstitute.org slash donate. So that's it. And then also, you know, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, tell everybody, tell the world. That's fine. That's fine. But we need your life's philosophy. My philosophy. So it's from Edward Abbey, like I said earlier. He's an author and an environmental activist. And it is one final paragraph of advice. Do not burn yourselves out. Be as I am, a reluctant enthusiast, a part-time crusader, a half-hearted fanatic. Save the other half of yourselves and your lives for pleasure and adventure. It is not enough to fight for the land. It is even more important to enjoy it while you can, while it's still here. So get out there and hunt and fish and mess around with your friends. Ramble out yonder and explore the forests, climb the mountains, bag the peaks, run the rivers, breathe deep of that yet sweet and lucid air. Sit quietly for a while and contemplate the precious stillness, the lovely, mysterious, and awesome space. Enjoy yourselves. Keep your brain in your head and your head firmly attached to the body, the body active and alive. And I promise you this much. I promise you this one sweet victory over our enemies, over those desk-bound men and women with their hearts in a safe deposit box and their eyes hypnotized by desk calculators. I promise you this, you will outlive the bastards. Cheers. Cheers, baby. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer, travel, and adventure lifestyle needs. 